In today's quest, we learn the true meaning of vandalism. This is the quest for power. Welcome back to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are your fellow comrades and journeyers on history and catchers of plagues, Scott and Michael. And uh, yeah, as it sounds like, uh, we've both had a massive run-in with, uh, with uh, sickness lately, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I had the flu this week and it knocked me out of work for two days. I couldn't even... Uh took me for i couldn't even like research or anything i got set up in the computer and went nope this ain't happening yeah and just and, went uh, and sat on the sat on my chair and laid down yeah and uh today i'm i kind of had the feeling that i was catching something so today we're uh we're jamming this through and uh if you see me drop dead in the middle of the uh of the recording then that's what we're that's what we're working with so yep. but it's not yeah. too bad yet and uh with the magical power of caffeine, it will uh, deaden my receptors. We'll get this. Enough. Well, yeah, we will accomplish our historical journey for this week. <laughs> yeah, I took I took uh, like the uh, generic Mucinex DM earlier today. Just uh, and that stuff is real good. It gives you like uh, an hour of just feeling like crap, followed by the rest of your day feeling great. But like that yeah. first hour, you just want to like hurl, but you don't. It's Maybe that's uh, what I need it's it's a wonderful tool if you can deal with uncomfort for an hour sounds uh yeah so, sounds like a valuable tool yeah but, uh yeah it is you know what else is a valuable tool what is that? <laughs> uh, that's an exciting um, tool yeah so uh let's say like we say uh let's say if you want to say we would greatly appreciate if you give us a review at podchaser.com and uh, we'll read five-star reviews at the end of each episode. So go ahead and um, use your essay, use your tools uh, at all at your disposal, and uh, give us some feedback. Yeah, yeah. Also, you can email us at questforpod at gmail .com, and that will also help give us feedback we would love to engage with people eventually it'd be nice to create a little community that we can discuss the the current events on our podcast there we go all right so with that with all that business out of the way uh and we talked about our plague issues uh what uh, <laughs> what the hell else up have you been up to because uh I don't remember much of anything. This, uh, as I, as I say, I am down with the sickness, and it is affecting my memory a little bit. So let's do a recap. I beat my wife in Disney's Villainous, and uh, if, as Captain Hook. So as that said, was that I have was no good. Idea what that is, I feel I don't know what it is, but it sounds adversarial. It's a Disney. It's a it's a it's a Disney board game where you play as the Disney villains, and you you have each villain has like a different goal they have to do, and their cards play wildly different, 
and then the only way you can really affect other players is if they have this thing called a fate and uh, it's basically like attacking another player oh man and uh it's a it's it's not very complicated it's a fun little easy game to play uh she crushed me in ticket to ride last night but that was also because my strategy was horrific kind of like alaric the seconds on how to rule a kingdom so well can't win them all it, it was no. uh it was vengeance yes it was, it was the vengeance was mine as under as captain hook so uh, we also were up to pirating on the high seas yesterday and did uh, quite a quite a good showing. Yeah, no, it was all right. You know, nothing, nothing too crazy, but uh, you know, Sea of Thieves, it's it's pretty good. We got to we got to do some pirating and some uh, shooting at other people's ships. So it was a good time. Yeah, successful. We did sink a, yeah, it was the one of the first times in a long time that uh, we ended the night not being sunk by a different player. Although when you guys logged off, the uh, player, there was a player that came by as our ship was just burning. So then I just sat there with that ridiculous outfit I had on and then waited till he saw me and then click exit. So like I flashed out of existence. Mm. <laughs> there you go. What have you been up to today, otherwise? Uh, a lot of Age of Empires. Um, oh, very good. Now you're in the Empire mood then. That's that's pretty good stuff. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's still fun. And uh, gosh, what was that? Who'd you play like? as? Uh, the Ottomans and the uh, the Rus. So. The Rus? I yeah. can't say I know what that is, and that's uh, kind of embarrassing. Uh, Russian uh oh gotcha i have no idea I, you know i really ought to like pay attention to all the historical texts they give which is surprisingly quite a bit um well it is age of, of empires i can see that well they, they're they not obligated to like actually give us historical context they could just be like yeah you're you're the ottomans you get a big cannon you know <laughs> don't tell me how to live my life yeah so no, they're fun, uh, and it was fun, and I was teaching someone uh, the ropes of of the Age of Empires four. So, got him up to yeah. speed. He's in some ways he's better at the game at me already than I am. So, well, when the student becomes the master, uh, the teacher did long. a good job. I'm pretty bad at Age of Empires, so it really wasn't a high bar <laughs> to me. But we'll we'll get there. But uh, speaking of uh, conquering and empires. Uh, let's transition our way into uh, our own conquering vandals. And, oh. of course, if empires, we, uh, of course, are interfacing with Rome. So we're uh, getting that nice segue there. So let's. what do we got today? Smooth segue. I hope you're in for a wild ride. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a lull today in which we build a kingdom. We'll kill a couple of family members and then we'll march the eternal city, Rome, and take everyone and everything, even if it's not bolted down. It's gonna, this episode's gonna feel a lot like our second ever episode with Alaric the first, our first king up with the Visigoths, only with a vandal twist. There we go. And, uh, yeah, we already know a little bit about this guy. So yeah, yeah, we've had it's, uh, it's it's satisfying when you have all of the uh, the historical pieces of the puzzle coming together, right? Yeah, while uh, yeah. while 
while this is happening here and you hear tidbits of this guy, this, you know, this other thing is happening somewhere else. And this is, this is the other thing. We had the Visigoths. They had their thing. This is our, uh, vandal. Uh, this is our, this is our vandalism thing. Yeah. Our, uh, our listeners are going to know how Rome fell like at the back of their heads, the part at back end of the Roman empire. And you, and you too, even though you can't always remember what we go from week to week, just going to keep beating it into you until I think we're going to talk about an event that happens for the third time in our podcast, because you know, everything's interconnected, but, uh, we just get to see it from the vandal point of view. And, uh, since this is like such a foundational figure, which is today is Geyseric the Cruel, it gives us the perfect excuse to like reinvent ourselves, change up the rating system. I felt like the rating system, it was a good start, but um, you know, much like a kingdom, you need to reinvent yourself. You gotta make sure you build up the borders, you gotta build up your military and uh, change the way your court works if it's not working. So we're, for that, we're gonna replace our category of the real game of thrones with royal power i mean we are the quest for power podcast we that should be number one when we talk about it so it's going to be how well did you as a king acquire keep and wield your power pretty self-explanatory yep yep and uh we're going to replace royal mischief with infamy and this one is really so we don't have to go back and forth on, uh, did it really happen or not? This is, what stories are they infamous for? It doesn't necessarily have to be true as long as it's a predominant story by multiple sources. If it's some whack job on the internet, we're not going to count that, even if that whack job is us. We're not going to count that, but the... Um, but if the whack job is like Jordan's, an actual historical source, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and uh, give him some points for that because obviously he did something to piss him off, you know, to write that bad thing about him. Yeah, or he was just getting creative, but yeah. Anyways. And uh, we're going to keep religious passion the same. It's not that one's not broke. Don't, don't, uh, don't fix it. Uh, we're going to keep stability the same. I mean, it's pretty important to know how stable your kingdom is. And then we are going to finally end the controversial alignment that is in the D&D world. And we are going to put that for royal demise. And this is going to be how interesting, impressive, impactful, how blank, it, you know, is their death. And this is also going to be out of five points. So like for a couple of them we had, we had the one guy who died in the, uh, uh, I forgot his name. Was it Theodoric the first? Yeah. Theodoric the first who died, died, in died in battle against Attila the Hun. I mean, right. that's pretty cool. And then you have other ones who just got assassinated. So, you, you know, we're going to have a lot of different ways people die. You might as well kind of highlight it and give them some points for it. And we're going to stick with Dynasty because you got to talk about everything they, they left behind. So, And yeah. uh, of, of course, we are still going to decide if they earned the status of High King or Queen. If they, eh, they're just a lesser lord or lady. Or if we are so furious about them that they need to be burnt at the stake to be taught a lesson on how bad they are. <laughs> As if they probably didn't learn that lesson on their own. No, no. I, I wonder if at one point you go, yeah, I screwed up. Because like in, in certain times when I play board games, like last night, I was like in one in the middle of the board game, even though I had an entire portion to go yet. 
it was like yeah i lost i screwed up this this is not working i chose the wrong strategy i wonder if at what point they're like yeah eventually a knife's going into my back i i just i i screwed up on that one that's right my bad my bad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys lost an entire city my bad all right, so the whole point of this little switch up is to spice up our, our podcast, and, and, and our goal for our podcast is to, like, spice up history, make it interesting, make it fun. There's plenty of historical sources that are drier than the Sahara Desert, if that's your thing. I read Palmer, the textbook for European history. It was a great way to go to sleep when I, when I needed to, even though I love history, which says a lot. Alrighty, without further ado, on to sources. Today we have Procopius, who was like a legal advisor uh, in the Eastern Roman Empire. He wrote a book called The Vandalic War. He wrote a ton of books on different wars. That was kind of his thing. He was a secular. Um, we normally get, you know, the uh, Catholic point of view of things because that's most of our sources. This guy was actually secular, which is kind of nice. little refreshing point of view. <laughs> nerd <laughs> we have our favorite <laughs> our favorite uh suspicious source jordanes from the visigoths point of view because the the vandals and they think they, they have a little bit of conflict with the visigoths and of course like i said in the previous episode they have none of their own so we just basically have a bunch of sources talk shit about them the entire time and yeah. then we have victor of vita and he's a contemporary historian who wrote in great detail about how Geyseric and the Vandals persecuted the Christians. So if you really want to know every single detail of that, I'm not going to put that into detail because we don't need to gratify that sort of thing. He, he has it all there for you. And then, of course, we have our favorite Victorian, Gibbon, who paints Geyseric as a savage tearing apart the fabric of Rome because for some reason the Victorians just loved Rome and the, the barbarians who tore it apart were just evil and despicable. Western society today still has kind of a hard-on for Rome. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I used to until I kept searching this stuff up and I'm like... No, you know what? No, there's actually archaeological evidence. They have, like, before Rome came in, in the British Isles, during Rome, and after Rome. So before Rome, their bones were quite healthy. They were quite well-nourished. After Rome came in, the, they were their bones were a lot less healthy and a lot more brittle, and it showed malnourishment. It's crazy they can do this, by the way. And then after Rome left, it seemed like they had a little bit more restoration of um, how of being able to eat. So that's that says a lot, like, in just a little thing. I think it's because Rome wrote a lot is why we yeah. glorify it. I bet you if these kingdoms wrote everything they did, we might be more interested in them. Main quest. All right, the heralds are entering the throne room, and we are announcing Gazeric the Cruel, Bane of Rome, the Antichrist, King of the Alani and Vandals. Quite an, quite an entrance. I gave him my, my best fanfare. I, I enjoyed that. What I forgot to explain last week is that uh, when I said that Walia defeated the Alans and annihilated the Selinji, uh, the Vandals 
and the the Selinji Vandals, my bad, is the Allens asked Gunderick to be their king, which is why they are not just king. He uh, Geyserick is not just king of the Vandals. He is the king of the Alani and the Vandals. Mm. And uh, that's kind of the, the reason we know that is they stylize themselves as Ragnum Vandalorum et Alanorum. Because I'm really good at Latin, meaning king of the Alani and Vandals. Okay. So that's kind of kind of nice historical backing yeah born around 389 he is the son of king gadizel and a slave woman so we know more about his mother than gunderick's mother the only thing we know is that she was slave that was the only thing else we know uh it is likely that he was with the vandals in their march across gaul and spain and once he was of age he probably would have taken part in the vandalism on their journey to baetica spain once his brother died in 428 according to hydatus by the hands of wow once his brother and f- died in 428 according to hydatus by the hands of a demon the Vandal nobility elected Geyserich as king of the Allens and the Vandals. I gotta say, by dying at the hands of a demon would not be a fun way to go out. Uh, well, you never know. But all I can think of is that the uh, the job would probably be pretty cursed if uh, if that were the case. Your hey, your your predecessor just got <laughs> yoinked by a demon. Good luck, kiddo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Take take his position. To start off his reign, he took the momentous step of moving the entire Vandal Kingdom across the Strait of Gibraltar into Africa. I don't know if you remember in our previous episodes of how bad that, like, every time the Visigoths tried to go across the Mediterranean, they couldn't do it. So, I mean, this had to take months of getting everyone across. That would just be quite a thing. Have you ever heard the story of Dunkirk? I believe they turned it into a movie. Oh, it's World not, War Two. I I know. I I. It's hard to recall. I I don't remember the details, but I'm at least familiar with it roughly. Okay, so like for those who don't know, it was, um the, the Germans had the the British trapped on this little on the this little um peninsula in france and they thought they were going to crush them into the sea well what they didn't have no is that everyone all several like british civilians brought all their rowboats and stuff across the british sea across the strait of gibraltar not the strait of gibraltar the english channel and they evacuated I forgot how many, saving tons of lives yeah. all across. It would have looked something like that. Just all of these different, you know, rowboats across the Strait of Gibraltar. It would have, so, I mean, quite a quite a feat in both the 1940s and in the four, four, 400s. Well, the nice thing is, is that they weren't under the, quite as much under the gun as uh, the Battle of Dunkirk, but... Uh... So there's so there's that, and as long as you're not the Visigoths, you know, I think crossing the Mediterranean's fine. So yeah, I, I think he is not cross it during a storm. I think that's that's the best uh, 
<laughs> Maybe the Visigoths just didn't know that little trick. I mean, the Visigoths uh, didn't... Uh, or, sorry, the Visigoths just had better weathermen. <laughs> or or the, the, the Vandals had better, better weathermen. Yeah. Yes, sorry. Yeah, the Vandals had better weathermen. <laughs> yeah, Visigoths should fire theirs. Yeah, well, too late for that now. <laughs> it was said he was invited by a Roman general named Boniface, who was in aggressive negotiations with other Roman generals. However, it wasn't long till Geyseric received a letter from Boniface that was along the lines of, mm -hmm, I thought about it, and uh, yeah, you're no longer welcome in Africa, please leave. To which Geyseric probably went, what? We just got here. Do you know what it took to get our entire kingdom across that water? We're, we're not doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame him that's it's time to start pillaging <laughs> yeah that I, that would set me off too i might burn a couple of cities if if that i was told that after i just made that monumentous task so he ripped up the letter and he began migrating the entire vandal kingdom across the roman african province of mauritania which is modern-day Morocco and Algeria. They crossed a ton of desert, so this also was a quite a feat using the Roman road network. So at least they had, you know, the Roman road network that they could use against the Romans. Yeah. And since he was told to shove off, he didn't feel like he needed to play nice. Geyseric vandalized each city they came across, looting and enslaving and basically taking everything that wasn't nailed down as they ran each city over and over on their way westward, uh, eastward towards, uh, towards the good General Boniface. Well, you know, when you piss off the wrong guy. Uh, yeah, this I say. <laughs> yeah, Geyseric's uh, already making a name for himself. Yeah, yeah, we're not even, yeah, we're pretty, yeah, most of our other kings, they'd be like, oh, okay, I'll go back. But no, not, not Geyseric. Uh, he also had the advantage, if you remember last episode, Gunderic was really good with creating a navy uh, and uh, using the Roman resources to create a giant navy for the Vandals. So they could take a lot of things and they just threw it on ships and then they would go sell it, you know, elsewhere. So they had that at their disposal, which also made things a little bit easier for Geyseric. Just do don't that. ask us where we got the stuff that we're selling you. <laughs> yeah, it may or may not be from your fellow countrymen, but we're not we're not sure. When he reached the city of Hippo, Boniface and his Roman legions were sitting there waiting for him, weapons in hand. The two armies clashed together, and Geyseric crushed Boniface's troops, who then retreated back behind the safety of Hippo's walls. So now your enemy is behind walls. You have two, you have a couple of decisions to make. Are you going to set up siege and sit there forever and wait them out? Or are you just going to continue um, bulldozing on? Uh, well, let's see. We have, well, we have the general, or maybe not the general himself. Might just be his troops. If it's the general himself in there, if you want to just get that vendetta out of the way. I think the general was in there i don't i 
I'm pretty confident he was. I can't see him having been able to run away. They really set upon them. Yeah. Well, this is Geyseric the Cruel, not Geyseric the Practical. <laughs> so you can set up a siege. That is correct. He pressed his advantage. He went, you know what? You you don't you don't have to you don't have to come out. We will sit here and we will wait. And they sat and they wait for a year and two months. Now sieges tend to take tolls on both sides. It's it it sucks the energy out of an advancing, you know, the momentum out of an advancing army, and yeah. you're losing supplies. You're not gaining supplies when they're going from town to town looting. They're gaining, you know, a lot of food. They're gaining resources to be able to supply. Now they are spending that capital that they just gained for a year and two months. And, you know, soldiers start to get antsy. So that would have, that was taken way too many sources away from his kingdom. So Geyseric was the first to blink and went, you know what, Let Boniface, you win this round. And he lifted the siege and then decided to start vandalizing his way eastward, looting and pillaging everything around them, you know, resuming after a good year break. There you go. That makes sense. Like I said, sieges are just like, very difficult so yes when we get to the crusades there is one particular siege i for, i think it might be the siege of antioch where they actually have in depth of everything that went on on the inside and it is horrific yeah um, it 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 rings a bell um but i'll yeah i'll leave that for my future knowledge <laughs> learning and uh, also, I'm going to keep using that word vandalize because we're going to only get to use that for so long. Eventually, the vandals are going to go away. So uh, we're going to use that every chance we get. Milking uh, it. <laughs> of course. So when he took a, he probably, after, you know, destroying a couple of everything around him, he probably took a break. And a messenger came by in 432 and let him know that Constantinople, so, you know, the actually effective Romans was sending a force to come and destroy him. These people are formidable. So they're not the Western Empire. Eastern has their shit together. Well, he's like, all right, bring them on. He met them on the battlefield and he decisively defeated them as well. So he added them to a list of the, to his collection of armies that he bested in battle. After the battle, the Romans, you know, after they left, went out of Hippo and probably escaped via ships or something elsewhere. So the Vandals returned to Hippo and they took revenge on the populace. They ravaged, enslaved, and pillaged that, that city. Pretty much probably destroyed it damn near close to the ground. I can't imagine they were nice to that city that, you know, held them up for a year. Yeah, probably not. So, and, but I mean, if you're, if it's, I don't think they got any worse treatment than normal, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the, that is the standard playbook when you conquer a, a, a city in these days is take all the food and take all the valuables that isn't bolted down. And if you can enslave a couple of people and sell them off, yeah, you might as well do that too. And, uh, well, in the, in the midst of all of this destruction that Geyserk is causing, he, he steps a little bit back in 432, and he wants to show Rome that he is not just a war 
mongering barbarian and he offers a peace treaty out of the goodness of his heart between him and western rome what do you think each side wanted out of this treaty <laughs> imagine being able to just be like yeah you should seed africa <laughs> i mean it sounds yeah. like that they that they're shaking up their holdings there but yeah, the problem is, is with Africa, that is the breadbasket of the empire. Uh, they do not want to give that up. They are going to fight tooth and nail for that. I think Sicily is the second highest grossing one. So he's got him by the throat when he's over here. Well, he decided, and uh, they came to an agreement between him and Valentinian III, and he offered a yearly tribute and a bonus of his son, as a host his son hunterick as a hostage thanks dad in return for rome recognizing him as a legitimate king like within their domain he's not this federati they call them which is the barbarians who are fighting on behalf of the romans no no he yeah. is the king and the the carthage part you know not the carthage part the part he conquered is his land pretty much mm -hmm. yeah So he began, began to consolidate his power in the region. And by consolidate, I mean aggressively persecute the Catholic bishops, because remember, they're Arian, and encouraged, quote-unquote, the people under his domain to convert to Arianism. Probably encouraged at sword point, I am guessing. Yeah. He is Geyseric the Cruel. It's subtle. And, you know, they're under peace terms. They can't directly attack Rome, and I don't think he wants to because he, he he's very weary of the East. He does not want them to get involved. He's fine picking fights with Western Rome all day long, but that Eastern part scares him a bit. So he pulls in Elizabeth I, and I don't know if you remember with Elizabeth I, she kind of looked the other way when uh, Francis Drake turned pirate and plundered, you know, the the spanish ships in the meta in the in the caribbean so he kind of looked the other way as a bunch of his fleet quote unquote just turned pirate and uh plundered the roman islands and the mediterranean and i'm sure he definitely got a, a little bit of kickback from that and they also attacked wealthy sicily so that was the roman the roman uh bread basket as well so he really likes to go after their food well as it turns out you need that shit to live yes and plausible deniability even in the 400s is a good time even when everyone knows what you're doing well what are they gonna do <laughs> uh, exactly he's like testing the waters he's doing what hitler did he's like oh i'm gonna keep pushing it oh no and uh much like hitler he heard nothing he heard death deafening silence silence so loud as rome saying look you're you can do that i guess that's fine we we can't do anything by that and in 439 emboldened by rome's incredible response and he also received intel which suggested that the roman uh, western empire forces were tied up dealing with the pesky goths over in gaul so then he decided, you know what, to hell with peace, I'm going to go march on to Carthage. And instead of besieging the city, which Carthage could hang out for a long time, that is a very uh, ancient and old city that has oh, a lot yeah. of resources. 
the the sources tell us that he tricked the city into letting him enter the city with his men how do you think he tricked them just gotta just be like hey i'm the kid i say i'm a king <laughs> gotta respect <laughs> give me the respect these are I... just my servants you know <laughs> they don't just never mind their swords they got their servants <laughs> you're pretty darn close and a lot about every source kind of comes up with that is like he basically flashed his badge and was able yeah. to be let in and um, according to the catholic sources upon entering the city he immediately put the entire city to the sword so basically walked in said hey let me in here's my badge and then once the once all he saw of his men came in he went all right execute them all it's pretty suspicious, though, that this was said. And it's very doubtful that he put his the city to the sword. And because he had his entire plans of making his city the capital, why on earth would you destroy your capital? You know, take out its entire infrastructure when this city is full of it. You know not the smartest thing also it doesn't help that there's zero evidence there's no archaeological evidence on the buildings or anything that they was attacked at that time so yeah kind of suspicious now what might have just it, been referring to the leadership in the city that is what a lot of yes that is correct that is what a lot of other sources were saying is like Maybe that didn't happen, but he probably put a lot of leadership, which was high Christian bishops, to the sword and, you know, persecuted them. So, and the fact that there are sources at this time, I can see them not being happy of their brethren being slain. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think that's probably what it was. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, you hit it right on the head. He also gained a treasure that was far more valuable than gold he captured the massive roman fleet that was stationed at carthage vastly multiplying his naval power it would be like he now has like the equivalent power that the later viking fleets which terrorized england he now <laughs> gets so i that's that's really nice also as rome you screwed up that was not good letting your enemy get that yeah well you love a good underdog tale so <laughs> yeah i don't know if he's been underdog rome is the you know rome's always expected to win at yeah, least if you're that roman is true. that is true <laughs> so emboldened by the additions of his vast new navy and his string of victories geyseric ordered the vandal forces to the fleet and they just started in to get ready for looting and pillaging so this, I have a feeling like the atmosphere would have been close to that of the, you know, the Japanese Navy hours before the attacks at Pearl Harbor. You know, they're all getting to the fleet. They're getting ready to attack all of, you know, the Roman wealth that they have. And if this was a TV show, this would be a great way to end season one of his reign. There you go. Maybe you should become a director. <laughs> i mean in it honestly most of these stories can become tv shows especially once we start getting uh characters with more and more sources well now that we have ended season one let's begin season two of geyseric the cruel in the year 440 separate 
massive vandal naval squadrons are spread out across the mediterranean and he orders them to simultaneously hit all the way from sardinia all the way to rhodes so all the way across rome and so basically italy to asia minor and hit them all at once which (laughs) pretty darn impressive and he himself led the force raiding sicily so and the reason like i said that was a good that's a good launch point to italy if you wanted to invade italy and that's the empire's other food supply so what he was doing is grabbing their food supply and then selling it back to them at a premium (laughs) (laughs) even though they're at war they still have to make trade because what are you gonna do yeah it's like well what are you gonna do not eat (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so you know what if you want something done right do it yourself this was the important one i'm gonna do it uh many sicilian cities were captured vandalized looted like we talk about uh putting the pressure on the already stretched empire and he attempted to force them to the negotiating table on his terms he wanted you know apparently the kingdom wasn't good enough he wants something more what more are you gonna ask for yeah that i mean this this is blitzkrieg this is like blitzkrieg tactics lightning war in in like the 440s obviously they don't have jets that can just fly overhead but like they almost overnight disrupted grain supplies to the city of rome and captured a massive amount of treasure because up to this point you know sicily was kind of left alone and it was there's a lot of wealth sitting there mm-hmm so you think, you know, he's going to keep pressing on. He's holding high on himself. However, in the end of 440, he's like, you know what? I probably hit a nerve. And he felt a Roman counterattack coming his way. So in preparations of this counterattack, he grabbed all of his troops, sailed back to Carthage, and ordered all of his fleets to return to home base. You know, for a title... For a man that earns the title the cruel you would think he'd be someone that would go out of his way to kind of destroy everything but he's a very effective strategist not many kings would have went all right i think we need to pull back yeah well you know he's he's kind of been pretty going out of his way for destroying stuff but yeah he's i don't know he's pretty strategic about it like yeah going after he, the food supplies yeah strategic destruction and uh so shortly after recalling all of his troops he got word that there was a massive buildup of both the east and west forces in sicily so he got out of there just in time both of them are ready to come kick his butt however because rome is rome's worst enemy both sides commanders were like trying to one-up each other so like the the east came in and like gleaming armor and just a bunch of peacocking between the two and because all of that took time with them jockeying for position the huns and this the sassanid empire decided hmm since uh eastern rome decided to leave their borders you know kind of empty we'll we'll just attack so they had to go back and the invasion never came Rome's not very good at working at this whole working together thing. Well, that's why they're they were, uh, you know, falling apart at the seams, right? 
Yeah, if they would have, it's so funny. If they would have just came together for a couple of battles, I feel like they would have lasted way longer than the nonsense they did, which just shows a divided house cannot stand. That's right. Uh, Politics is a nation's own worst enemy. So, with Geyserich having the upper hand in 442, he and Valentinian III signed a treaty which split Africa up and gave Geyserich um, the Carthage area, so the best part of Africa, to the Vandals. We'll see how long this lasts. Yeah. So imagine yourself as Geyserich. What is the most important condition of the treaty that is going to establish your family's legitimacy in Africa? He Ugh. remember all barbarian kings are going after legitimacy. They need to be recognized, they need to be established. What are you going after in this treaty to get that? Oh. Well, to establish it? I mean, there's always like the the I mean, he's already recognized, right? You know, like yeah, he is recon. He he was recognized before. Maybe he wasn't recognized hard enough. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to have the 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 hard, like establishing yourself in a, I don't know, in a very concrete kind of way, something that you can't just easily remove, right? That's, yeah, correct. And uh... and what's the one thing to a concrete like form? You know, alliances in the Middle Ages. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can marry people off, marry, marry your children away. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Geyserich, in addition to giving his son Hunterich as a hostage, he also uses him as a political pawn. And he has him betrothed to the Eudocia, who is the daughter of Valentinian III. And we will go a little bit more in in uh, Hunter, Hunterick and Eudocia in the next episode with Hunterick. But um, they don't, it's only a betrothal though, because I think it is said in the sources that Eudocia is five years old when this is done. Oh, okay. So they can't exactly consummate the marriage. Um, I have no idea how old the Hunterick is at this time. There's not really any concrete sources that say anything. They probably just deem, deem age important. But to to our 21st century minds... Yeah, children Yeah, children for the longest time were just kind of like tiny adults anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like as yeah. soon as you could do work, you worked. Yeah. And as soon as you were apparently uh, considered to be... Uh, eligible enough to be married off you were married off basically when you're child born bearing years i think is the minute you were childbearing you could be buried off married off so yeah um well the season ends with the signing of treaty so that is the end of season two kind of went faster in season one now it's one thing to conquer a kingdom it's a whole nother thing to keep it so like he's been very good at conquering is he going to be as good at uh you know keeping it so this is when i said we're going to kind of dip down a little bit because uh building kingdoms they're not as flashy as you know destroying multiple cities on a battlefield well yeah i say that's fairly prophetic for rome right (laughs) you got one of the large one of the largest empires ever and well, now you gotta gotta hold that. Yes, yes, it is. So we're gonna get a Geyserk's gonna give us a little crash course on K- Kingdom Building 101. So these are the steps according to Geyserk. 
Step one, acquire a major city that will provide a good foundation to your rule. Step two, design a power structure. Step three, secure legitimacy. Step four, eliminate threats before they eliminate you. Pretty straightforward, right? Just got to execute That's right. it. Yeah, execute. it always lies in execution. It's just like how people think that shooting a basket's easy. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, step one, acquire a major city or area that has an abundance of resources. The step is really critical. The quality of city you start out with is going to give you a huge boost or a huge drain on your resources. It's a lot like in strategic board games like Catan. It is so much easier to win if you acquire the right cards or the right resources in the beginning like you have your correct area set up because you can win and lose right in that first step right in the beginning oh, of yeah. the game yeah it's, just reminds me of why i'm not a big fan of Catan. i i used to love it but uh it is the new monopoly so yeah not yeah. as much i found quite a bit of other board games to play and uh well geyserich chose correctly he chose carthage in africa which provide him essentially a cheat code in the king to building a kingdom it was like choose a setting of building kingdom on easy mode it was the main source of grain for all factions in the mediterranean he is able to dock his considerable fleet there because you know that's where the roman fleet was already sitting when he captured it and is a great launching point against all corners of the mediterranean he has the mediterranean at his will all right so Step all one so also in uh, Carthage, there's a sophisticated infrastructure in place, which is really nice. So he basically had to use a turnkey method to run the kingdom. He simply replaced himself as emperor. So now all taxes went to him. He replaced the Roman aristocracy with his own nobility. His own nobility got all the Roman aristocracy's lands, titles, etc., and uh, he left most of the middle management bureaucracy alone. And even though disgruntled Nicene bishops want to say he purged the city of people, he left a lot of these people alone because they were able to run his city for him. And uh, not too much change. At the military level, he, his uh, Vandalic warriors were given the previous Roman garrison quarters and were paid by the same resources that paid the Roman garrison. Kind of nifty. So, like, you could literally see it was like a plug-and-play of what he did with society, which is a brilliant move, but also, like, I don't know how he could have done it any other way besides just tearing the whole thing apart. Yeah. Not very and, constructive, but, yeah. I guess the only downside is that, I guess, you know, some of the incentives and things might change a little bit, but uh, emulating the people who you're conquering. <laughs> he, that it was his big strategy was that, because he left the peasantry mostly alone. He left them alive. I mean, after all, them being alive gives you more taxes, more grain, and, and than if they're, you know, if they were slain and their farms were burned. So yeah, well, it's like they're, they're probably less opinionated on the matter anyways. Exactly. Most peasants at this time were like, oh, that person's in charge? All right, I'll just send my grain to him. You know? It's yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a change of direction in the cart. We're not... It's, it's a, oh my God, war finally stopped. I'm happy about that. You know, they, they don't have to worry about being, you know, slaughtered at the hands of 
the invading army. The invading army's leaving you alone. I'll take that any day. Yeah. Also, he halted this significant tax grain that was going to Rome. Since this was the breadbasket of Rome, they, they Rome was siphoning off so much resources, like the city itself. And this freed up a ton more resources to be traded at market. So all of the, the, ma the, the merchants just grew wealthy really quickly because they had a lot more stuff to sell. The only downside is there was a little bit of diminished trade to Gaul and the Eastern Empire due to the Vandals really pissing them off. And by Gaul, I mean the Visigoths. The Vandals and the Visigoths do not like each other at all. Oh, yeah. Well, we said we can't. I know it was kind of an unbased thing, but they'd already had their uh, their run in by this point. So yeah, exactly. And and despite those going down, he had they had a big trade boom in Hispania, which is where they used to be. So I don't know if like there were vandals left behind when they crossed and like that was their brethren or if that was their previous subjects and for some reason they liked the vandals more than the romans so they traded with them uh and uh during this time the economy grew roman law resumed and intellectual pursuits flourished all under a filthy barbarian so he may be the cruel but he kind of left things alone. He just wanted to rule. Yeah. Well, again, you gotta gotta make your base of operations. So exactly. So we got step one: foundations covered. Step two: design power structure. It's really hard to run anything on your own. You need the right counselors that will carry out your plans in a competent manner and you know a loyal manner. Because uh, if you get this wrong, you could end up with a serious back injury that consists of a knife sticking out of you, which I don't think even a uh, 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 chiropractor is going to help with that one. Yeah. No. <laughs> Knives are pretty bad. They're, they're pretty bad for your health. So to cement his control over the current administration, he appointed Germanic individuals to run key aspects of the kingdom, like the courts, the legislation, the treasury, the grain supply, all around trusted Roman bureaucrats. So he's really trying to integrate his vandals and their nobility with the already established Romans there. And uh, so... He did this intentionally because it made him, he wanted to be viewed as, as like their king and not just a foreign king. He, which is pretty brilliant. It's pretty smart for that, him to do that and not be like, oh, we gotta, you know. Alrighty, step three, secure legitimacy. Pretty important. Empires, kingdoms, and various civilizations have descended into chaos over the simple issue of who should rule and legitimacy. Geyserwerk worked really hard to portray himself as a fair ruler who held his subjects in such high regard that he would base their entire his entire reign on their magnificent city. Rome didn't do that, you know. They didn't really care about Carthage. They just sucked the life out of them. So he's basically like, look, we I treat you better than over in Rome does. Yeah, that's what I was say. He's called Geyserick the Cruel, not Geyserick, we uh, the man who made Carthage better. <laughs> so 
he's uh, a condi- a condition of the four. 42 treaty was a proposed marriage of you know the roman princess eudocia and his son hunneric and that was also good to establishing legitimacy because that tied his family to the imperial seat of power through marriage and everything surrounding legitimacy surrounded rome at this time Mm -hmm. and uh this marriage also helped the king change the vandal custom of inheritance of like the the next king was always elected now this was no it is based on the firstborn son of the king and he was able to do that because of the tie to rome otherwise he would not have had the power to be able to do that so the vandal kingdom also adopted a new dating system which the year 439 the year they capture carthage is officially noted as year one of his reign so he is like cementing it you know everything in his in in his power to like say no we are the the rightful rulers here and in addition to all of these moves he increased the influence of the vandals arian christianity and decreased the prominence of the nicene christianity which is later catholicism okay right and uh monarchy the monarchy was also able to mint their own coins which is a huge boost to normalizing your rule of the existing population when the money is like they see the money every day and it's your head on it so so it is it's a big mark when you mint your own coins and all in every time through history it's a big statement of i am the ruler now and i have the ability to mint coins which is, says uh, a lot do we get a picture of geyserich's head on a coin I don't know if we do. I have not seen that. Probably not. Yeah, that's what I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's there's tons of yeah. I'm sure when we get when we get into like Britain and stuff, for sure they have lots of uh, coins. I think It'd be really hard to stamp someone's likeness into a coin. Um, I mean, for I mean, a lot of stuff, but yeah, yeah. Some of them are kind of creepy, and some of them are actually pretty impressive when you look at him with his you know legitimacy established you're on to step four eliminate threats before they eliminate you many rulers need to learn this lesson the fun part oh yes and uh he's pretty good at this one so even though we thought like throughout this entire time we've given you the modern perception that the vandals are unified as an entire kingdom under geyseric there are several vandals nobles that are not thrilled with this and they are not as united as we might think and there's some evidence that some of the north african vandal magnates conspired against the hastingi ruling class and Geyseric himself, and when this plot was discovered, Geyseric ordered those involved to be brutally tortured and then executed for their troubles. How cruel. And uh, another thing is, is he eliminated, uh, shall we say, the threat of the church. Um, He pretty much persecuted pretty severely the Nicene Christians, so... He, he also had that going for him. And then finally, he murdered the wife and children of his own dead half-brother and predecessor, Gunderick. That's, that's cold. And that is going to be a pattern 
in in the vandal society of of murdering your siblings and their family sounds uh sounds very civil yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we should be pretty used to it with the visigoths when we had the string of uh fratricides between the brothers um what was it theodoric murdered uh, thorsmund and then uh Yurik yep. murdered theodoric yeah that sounds right but yeah it was kind of all like really close together though yeah Alrighty, with that out of the way, the little intermission, we're back into season three. And opening season three, the show opens up into a lively King's Council discussing foreign affairs. So they're all sitting there at the table. Geyserick's on his throne, and he's he has uh, discussed restraining himself from attacking the West again because he is afraid of provoking an attack from the more formidable East and that would destabilize everything he's worked so hard to build with this kingdom. And uh, since he couldn't attack Rome in 445, he went to go do a favorite Visigothic king pastime. Can you guess what that mm. was? Oh, uh, the, uh, the poor Sweevy. Oh, yes, you guessed correct. He gathered some troops, sailed west, and went to beat up the Sweeby in, in northwest Spain. These guys were previously allies, so I yeah. mean... <laughs> well, I mean, nothing is ever concrete. Oh, Alliances correct. mean very little. Correct. But the poor Sweeby just keep getting their, their <laughs> shins kicked in, but they keep coming back, so... They're, they're, they gotta be made of pretty hardy stuff. Not hardy enough. And, uh, yeah, that's true, because we don't really know too much about their kings. The Vandal... So this whole time between the peace between him and Rome is called the Vandal Peace. And it lasted about 13 years. In uh, 451, a letter came from Rome, which had to be interesting for him. And uh, it told Geyseric to basically go to hell. And they're rescinding the marriage proposals between Hunneric and Eudocia, which had, you know, secured peace between the two factions. As you can imagine, Geyseric is not thrilled by this. And I'm not sure he's the guy you want to tell to go to hell. Yeah, it feels like Rome has really poor memory. <laughs> yeah, I just poor judgment in this case. And, uh, well, it did not immediately set off the powder keg. In fact, he kind of just sat there and waited to see what Rome was going to do, which he's very methodical. I will have to give him that. If, uh, if you were just a vindictive king, you would just be like, all right, let's, let's go kick their butt. But, uh, no, he just, uh, sat around and before Rome could do anything, though, he also received more information from spies that the Rome was infighting once again, to which he probably went big surprise. Yeah, that's just that's just a constant. <laughs> so he saw the opportunity, saw his little window open, and he mobilized his troops in Carthage and prepared for war. So... He got a little more information on this infighting, and it turned out that Emperor Valentinian III assassinated one of his top generals, Flavius Aetius, and then Valentinian himself was then assassinated by another general, Petronius Maximus, who took over the imperial seat of power. So, 
that's always good when you have your leaders being assassinated after each other. A gen- I say generals being assassinated right as uh, war is about to be set off. I know, big big shocker, and and uh, Petronius Maximus, which I love that name. He's a he's not an intelligent leader, but that's a great name. He, uh, being the gentleman that he is, he forced Valentinian's widow, Eudoxia, to marry him and ordered Honoric's previously betrothed Eudoxia to marry his son. Very mm. chivalrous. Yeah. Uh, expecto Petronius Maximus. <laughs> perfect <laughs> i don't know if he could for, uh, form a patronum though i don't know if he's had fond memories well maybe conquering maybe assassinating the emperor was a fond memory for him in his twisted mind yeah i wonder i wonder what his oh probably the eagle being rome while Geyseric was doing his rounds, uh, a messenger came running up to him and delivered a letter that was stamped from Eudoxia, which is interesting, you know, the, the wife of his rival. And yeah. Eudoxia pretty much begged Geyseric to come over and kick her husband's her new husband's ass since he's kind of a douchebag and she's kind of fed up with him. She's she's not about that life. Good guy, and- Geyseric. helps helps the damsel in distress i know right (laughs) and geyseric didn't need to be told twice so he gathered his mobilized troops and set straight for rome at the head of a great vandal armada in 455 that probably was the episode end and then the beginning of the new episode, a week had gone by, and geyseric and his men had disembarked and they headed straight for the eternal city before Geyseric laid siege to Rome, a uh, messenger came by, um, letting him know that Petronius Maximus was stoned to death trying to leave the city. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> Rome's really got their stuff together. <laughs> Who's throwing the stones? Is it... It was like, the populace. He he um, he, he basically got run. Up. He basically heard that Geyseric was coming to kick his ass and try to run away, and uh, it didn't it didn't work for him. They stoned him for being a coward. How embarrassing! <laughs> yeah, his his death score would be a negative points for that. After news, uh, so. After that letter came through, another letter came through stamped with the cross. A message from the Roman bishop Leo asked for an audience with Geyseric. And uh, Geyseric, even being an Arian, thought, yeah, what the hell not. Let's see what this old man has to say. Now, unfortunately, we don't get to know what was said between the two men. What we do know is an agreement was reached between them. Geyseric got everything i mean everything in the city and in return his sitters did not is is not sitters his warriors did not burn kill and torture the inhabitants of rome so uh that's basically the demands that alaric gave before and uh, rome turned that down but this time apparently they're okay with it well geyseric's proven to be a bit more of a formidable force (laughs) yes 
On June 2nd, the gates opened of the Eternal City willingly to a barbarian invader, and he walked into a city whose you know, population was full of trepidation and fear. That had to be a crazy moment when that happened. Could you imagine, like, they they could have never imagined, like, 200 years before a uh, barbarian, you know, even getting close to the city, much or less being just waltzing in. in. Yeah, just waltzing in, strutting in. All right, Scott, you're Geyseric. What's the first thing you do when you enter Rome? This is the glorious, mighty city of Rome. You have heard all of the stories because he is well-read. So he's probably heard of all the emperors, including Augustus, you know, the, the Colosseum, Trajan. He's heard of all of that. What are you going to do? You've been given a blank check for the city. It's got to be, he's got to be disappointed. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, this is it. I bet, I bet that's, I bet that's it. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, he probably was. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's to say, he's, uh, let's say it would be probably smart to just take the city and just remake it in your own way, like he did with Carthage, but. Yeah, we both know that's probably not what's gonna happen because uh, Rome, I say, Rome and him have uh, a certain legacy. Well, I mean, yes, you would think that would be, but at this time, Rome is kind of a drain on resources. I'm not sure he would want to own that city, especially when he has Carthage, which has a great port. You know, Carthage has all of those advantages. Why would he take a decrepit Rome, you know, for that? But what he did first is he heads straight for the Imperial Palace, which is what I would do. I would go, all right, where is, you know, the palace where all the emperors <laughs> yeah. used to be? Just uh, do the uh, good old Scrooge McDuck dive into the... Uh... <laughs> vault of gold coins <laughs> yes and uh, while he was waltzing up to the imperial palace his warriors took everything from the city and its inhabitants if you remember back because we keep talking about our very favorite king alaric the first he and his goths sacked rome for three days in 410 and obviously it wasn't as nice as this they put a lot of people to the sword how long do you think the vandals sacked rome this time Oh jeez. Uh for taking everything, he probably get like a good like get a good week's worth of take taken. Yeah, yeah, you're you're pretty close. Just double that. For 14 days they ransacked Rome. He complete Geyser completely destroyed the city of Rome in the most peaceful odd manner possible. He, they emptied the royal treasury, robbed the temples of their valuables, even stripped uh, Temple of Jupiter of its gilded bronze roof tiles. So, like, they took <laughs> their time taking everything. They took sculptures that were on buildings, and they, like, if they were bolted down, pry them off. And, like, yep, that's coming with us. And uh, Geyser Rick had his attendants strip the royal palace clean of everything. So it had to be like when they, like, not first built it, obviously, but pretty darn close. 
he sees the treasures of Titus's siege of Jerusalem all the way back in 70 CE, which is when the Romans stole from the Jews 385 years prior. To give you kind of a lesson on how, like, gauge on how old that is, this is, that is about, um, a third more of U.S.'s existence for context. Like, the U.S. has been around for about two-thirds of that time. <laughs> that well, Rome obviously there. wasn't using those treasures. Apparently not. That's, uh, that, and that's some really holy relics, I'm guessing, that they took, too. So Got the that... holy hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thou shalt count to three. So he took everything from Rome, as I keep iterating. I just can't iterate how picked clean Rome is. It will not recover until the papal states come to d dominate the region in the high Middle Ages. This event, the sack of Rome 455, is where we get the term vandalism from. You can kind of see why. Yeah, well... Like I said, I appreciate the fact that they just had the, the, the sweet time and, you know, all the other people probably just, all the people living there are probably just like, what are we going to do? Because <laughs> you, you'd be so afraid, too, because uh, it's just any wrong move and they, they could just, you know, just stick you with the pointy end. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, that would just be horrifying to see, like, all of these great sculptures and stuff, this magnificent city just reduced to nothing in a peaceful manner. Like a too. plague. Yeah. He also seized the three remaining imperial members, which included Eudoxia and her two daughters, Placidia and Eudocia, who Hunrick was originally betrothed to. So basically, well, if you guys don't want to be married to him, we're gonna we're gonna force you. He also did take some slaves, so we didn't leave the Roman populace entirely alone. I don't know if he, he took slaves of of like the nobility because they seem to enjoy doing that. They like oh. to enslave the no nobility, but leave like the other people alone. Um, I don't know for sure, but for, he didn't enslave the entire population, but he grabbed quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So every, after taking everything that was and was not bolted down, he loaded everything onto his fleet and set sail for Carthage. And he continued to rule until the year 477. And after a long, impactful reign of 49 years he finally passed away of natural causes An old he guy. lasted the reigns of any ruler throughout this time including the more civilized societies like eastern empire all right well that's nice a nice just uh a peaceful end for a not peaceful man <laughs> yeah correct Probably during that time, he he created more Havoc, but I feel like we got enough Havoc, you know, established. We got the picture. He uh, he was a cruel individual when he wanted to be. Destroyed Western Rome. Alrighty, so for our very first royal power category, how well did he acquire, wield, and maintain power? 
He acquired power pretty freaking easily. He wielded it to great effect. He made every right decision he could, and he maintained it. I mean, the car. He this roller coaster that is the Vandals is. We are sitting at the top. He took us to the top. It is all downhill from here. Yeah, that's kind of depressing, but it's unfortunately depressing. Correct, but uh, we we got a fun ride at least on the way up. Yeah. Well, you know, I think he he's he earns his like, you know, nine or ten. I'm gonna give him ten. He waltzed into Rome and just. Took... I don't think there's anything really wrong with what he did. So. <laughs> yeah. He. Uh... Yeah, he he did everything. I think he is he ex exudes power. All right. Yeah, I'll give it tens all around. Twenty. He starts out perfect. Alrighty, for inaugural infamy, what was he infamous for? Doesn't have to be true necessarily. He murdered the wife and children of his predecessor and half dead brother Gunderick. When we said earlier that he replaced the aristocracy with his own nobility, I kind of glossed over the fact that he demanded they surrendered everything and be sold into slavery, or they could choose to be killed by the sword. <laughs> what so, a, oh boy, what a choice. Yeah. Um, also, Catholic bishops wrote of Geyseric and the Vandals massacring civilians and clergy when they captured towns. So whether that's true or not, that is what he's infamous for. And according to Jordanes, the story we have heard three times now, he oh, mutilated yeah. his daughter-in-law, the Visigothic princess daughter of Theodoric, and uh, cut off by cutting a chunk out of her nose and ears and sent her and those to her father. That's his infamy. And there is much more of tons of just different odds and end stories of him being horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'd say I'm willing to, to, to splurge on a 10 here. I know? am also willing to give him a 10. He is exudes this category. Yeah. That's, that's the, he, he is what gave me the inspiration behind this. Because whether it's all true or not, it definitely was written about in that way. Yeah. Well, like I said, pretty famous. Like I said, he's definitely the uh, the reason why we you know know of the Vandals. Even yeah. people who don't give too much of a rat's ass about history may <laughs> yeah. have been aware of the vandals yeah um, correct because the only other thing you probably heard was like you know if you're talking downfall of rome was oh uh germanic tribes yeah correct or right? alaric from his first sack i i didn't i didn't knew nothing about geyseric and his second sack of uh, Rome. I know that the Vandals did it. I just didn't know anything about him or this, but I did know. Well, he's I the reason know. you know the Vandals. Yeah. Right? Like, Correct. that's the thing. Like, just he, so influential. And I think, you know, I mean, apart from, you know, the Visigoths, yeah, the, the, the two, I say the two really do just give you the, uh, the uh oh what is one of the reasons why rome fell well germanic <laughs> tribes yeah thanks history teacher you're the best <laughs> yeah, no, yeah could, could you go a little more in depth of what germanic 
I remember them always saying, too, like, oh, it's separate tribe groups and it's stuff like that. And they gave you the impression like it was a bunch of little tribes and not these great, powerful kings in these yeah. little tribes. Well, that's because, yeah, yeah. That, that, I think that's just because it's the the idea of tribes is different in different places, right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, it's, I think we have a tendency to, uh, at least in my personal experience, to when we hear the word tribe, we tend to shrink shrink it down, right? Yeah, I definitely do in my mind. I always think of, well, 50 to 100 people, not thousands. Yeah, you think, yeah, you think of a localized, like, you know, I mean, after all, like when they'll say when you're looking for a friend group, a small friend group that's really close knit, you're looking for your tribe, right? Like Correct. it's yeah. There's, I think that's just like, it, it's kind of a mismatch for what we have today. So, yeah, yeah. this is uh, honestly just doing his any history class you ever took in high school. Like, you know, gives it more gives it does it more justice because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you want to learn why Rome fell, or at least one of the reasons. The, the, the non-political, or I should say, well, the uh, the external reason why they fell. <laughs> yeah, obviously you can learn the internal reason. They kept fighting every time. That's the, if you want to give a single-handedly reason, it was they every, every chance they got to protect themselves, they went, you know what, I'm going to stab my left arm instead. Yeah. So, all right, on to the next one. All right religious passion he is a fanatical arian he persecuted the christians with great vehemence this is not just out of because it was smart it was also because he hated the nicene christians before one of the sea raids he was asked when where the ships should go and sail and he simply replied obviously against those with whom god is angry which meant the Nicene Christians or the Catholics. Uh, he handed all the Nicene churches over to Arian clergy. He basically took everything and anything away from the church he that he possibly could. There are stories of him burning and, you know, killing all the Christians and uh, persecuting them pretty rough. Uh, he didn't build any churches. He, that I know of, um, that but he could have. I think he just reappropriated the current ones to his own faith. He greatly expanded his faith. He gave the Aryan churches their own like secular land that he stole from the nobles, so that way they could be self-sufficient under him. So quite a bit in there as well. Okay. Uh... You know, well, I think it's probably deserving, like, probably, like, a good, like, eight, you know? I'm gonna go... There's something a little bit wanting, but... Yeah, there's... It's not... It's not the... It, it, it's not full-blown. I, I, If he would have built churches and stuff, I maybe would have gone more, but the how much he persecutes them, I'm gonna go with eight as well. Okay. So eight and eight is sixteen out of twenty. Affirmative. Alrighty, stability. Out of five points this time for stability instead of our usual te- instead of our ten. Uh, they started off pretty unstable. They were in a pretty rough area 
of um, Spain, and then he made them transfer across the <laughs> the Mediterranean Sea, and then all across Africa, and and uh, raided, and they kind of moved around from place to place, and then they settled down in Carthage, and then there it seemed he did establish them a little bit and got a little more stability, at least for his own people. I I'm thinking a three out of five. On this really, one. I'm willing to go more because I mean it sounds like he was unstable at first and then managed to progress into total stability. There was internal fighting, and it wasn't he had to keep his iron fist to keep everything you know stabilized. There were, but I guess the fact that he was able to do that but he put him down right i mean that's the thing is yeah i i guess yeah it's like the only it just depends on how you judge stability is like you know it's like oh is it that he you know shouldn't have had if you if he was truly more stable he wouldn't have had to had to deal with those up you know with plots in the first place but i guess i would offer stability as how might yeah how likely (laughs) is your like reign to fall apart because of you know internal fighting and things like that basically if we were raiding rome it'd be zero so i guess yeah i'll have to give him a four out of five i still think the fact that they were a moving a moving thing yeah you got me to bump up to four yeah like i mean he stopped they were moving but then they stopped moving you know is, yeah and got like the best you know darn you know land in the land and uh you know yeah kind of just it sounded like basically as long you know that he's as long he's as kept you... everything nice and tight and yep, clean. as long as you played by his rules he kind of left you alone that's right royal demise unfortunately this one he's gonna get a little bit of knocked on um i'm gonna give him at least a point that he you know the way he died is interesting in the fact of how violent of a life he led and the fact that he managed to die after raiding 49 years of natural causes is quite impressive I'm going to give him a one on on that alone. I'll give him a zero. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, not not the most interesting. It's 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 amusing cuz yeah, like I said, you know, it's just like a it's the you know, I can sit here and die. I can, you know, look at the uh you know, I can look at the what is it like the rising sun of a, on a grateful world, <laughs> you know. It's got that vibe. Yeah, I don't think it's a grateful world. It's his world is grateful. I bet the I bet the oh, vandals liked him. Yeah, I'm sure they. Yeah, they're like, know. man, look at this. We got Carthage. We got, you know, we took everything from Rome. Look at all this, you know, look at all this metal we stripped from these buildings. Like, yeah, they so. say they say a, a a nation is born stoic and dies epicurean. He is like the definition of like the stoic builder. And after this, the Vandals are so well set that they just live in sumptuous luxury. And that's kind of their downfall is the fact of how well he set them up. It's depressing. So to speaking of that dynasty out of 10, we can't look at too much into the future other than if someone he, you know, he had was made an effect down the road yeah, uh, we can't to, look at Catherine the Great Syndrome. Yeah, correct. 
So to establish his role even further, he developed that new dating system. He put the nail in the coffin of the Roman Empire. They died, what was it, 476 we discussed? So they died in his reign. He devastated and destabilized Rome in spectacular fashion. I mean, the fact that he took everything not everything nailed and not nailed down in that city is pretty impressive. Uh, he gave us the term vandalize, uh, which is from that sack of Rome. He set up his son with incredible power and influence. The fact that he tied him to the uh, imperial royal line granted that doesn't matter now that the line is gone that the there's no rome anymore yeah and he lived on in the imagination of the catholic clergy for a long time after he passed away they <laughs> he was the big boogeyman and he is he brings the vandals i can't state it enough to the height of their power we are at the top 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 of the roller coaster looking down Yeah. I don't I, see why he doesn't get like a 10. <laughs> I don't either. I'm going to give him a 10. Look at that. All Mr. right. Big, big score in here. Yeah. For, so for our first uh, score of the, the new era, what is... Uh, he's got to be getting quite a bit here out of 100. He got pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, a 42 and a 43 for an 85. Holy crap. That's going to be hard to beat. That's going to be really hard to beat. So, yeah. Wow. Good guy. <laughs> uh, on our alignment system, I wouldn't put it as good, but yes. Well, <laughs> it was yeah. a fun king to review, that's for sure. It made our life easy. Alrighty. I don't think I need to really debate this, but do we raise him to high king? diminish him to a lesser lord or was he so pathetic we burn him at the pyre give that man his crown oh yes he deserves to be raised in high king and the the angels sing all righty so what'd you think of him i thought he was a fun character to, to review i was so excited once we finally got to him yeah he lives up to he lives up to his name really well uh yeah. genuinely just kind of uh a fun i don't know like i said it feel it's a fun underdog kind of tale kind of thing yeah. like went from being kind of just being like yeah you kicked around yeah you're not welcome here you know having to sail across the uh um the strait um of gibraltar yeah of gibraltar uh, you know i almost said the bering strait but that's a very different location <laughs> very um different. yes the strait of gibraltar <clears throat> and uh you know went down to africa turned turned the whole thing around and uh you know got to take sweet sweet vengeance on roman bullies he did what every barbarian you know wanted to do which was take it to rome and say basically nope the, he, your time is done it is ours yeah like i said the best part is like i said is that it wasn't a a violent like sacking of the city it was uh yeah that I, a meticulous a meticulous just comb over like yes. like the plague of locusts descending upon the crop and uh yeah. i feel like that's a detail that is oft uh you know neglected because yeah again you call it this they call it the the sack of rome right mm -hmm. although you know that could be more referring to the visigoths but 
you know, it's, uh, it's the, the picture is very different. So we have a, a little more granules of knowledge and perspective. I've always said, so. like, I, my, if I could have a superpower, it would be to go back in history, any point in history, and just watch. You can't affect it or anything. There's no time travel nonsense. You just watch it. I just want to watch them pick off these bronze tiles. <laughs> oh. Off, off well, the you just, you just like, you know, you start, break, you break, like, the, the top bolts, and then if they're, because they're usually just really long and, like, thin, thinly, like, hammered and pressed plates so you can just start just yanking yeah if you got enough strong people yeah uh, as i understand it so but the fact but that, yeah like, they were able to like sit there for 14 days and just methodically tear apart the city is <laughs> yeah it's no crazy. no armies coming to <laughs> yeah. to tear it up like that's yeah that's kind of the crazy part is that yeah. is it was they're just so utterly defeated that there was no resistance or very little as it yeah. sounds like so that's that's kind of the the crazy part is yeah as you you imagine them just like burning everything to the ground or just like you know just storming the city but it, you know they just waltzed in and yeah it wasn't... i feel like that's something that gets frequently left out of our mind's eye yeah like al like if you look into alaric's which is the more famous one he was there for what three to five days and they basically grabbed in as much as they could and got out before reinforcements arrived he basically sat there and went yeah, I want I want that picture. That one looks nice, and I also want that. Ah, screw it, take it all. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, before we close out, we want to thank all you listeners for joining on this roller coaster and uh, staying with us on the high point. Uh, also, thank you for referring your podcast, listening to our podcast, to your friends and family. Every new listener helps us, and we'll build our little tiny estate into a well big kingdom hopefully able enough to one day take down rome and if you want to as scott uh, explained in the beginning if you want to expand your influence and have your thoughts spoken on this podcast please go to the podchaser link in the show notes it's pretty easy you just click follow give your favorite history nerds five stars we will read every five star review if you don't know what to say tell us who your favorite king or queen is and why they fascinate you i will definitely look them up and uh, see if i can provide any commentary on them because it may be a while before we get to them it's going to be a long time before we get to watch king henry the eighth um have six wives so well we got that if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. Until next time, the king is dead. Long live the king. Long live the king.